from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 475, Hyperconverged Storage Using Windows Server 2016 with guest Ned Pyle. Recorded Monday, May 16th, 2016. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today, it's been entirely too long since it's been on, it's Ned Pyle. He's a 10-year Microsoft veteran and a principal program manager in the Windows Server Cloud and Enterprise Engineering Group, managing replication and remote file protocols like Storage Replica, SMB, DFSR, and Scale-Out File Server. Welcome, sir. Hey there. And, uh, God, six years. I, I apologize. It's been too long and you work on such cool stuff. Yeah, the last time we spoke, I was a support escalation engineer in Charlotte, North Carolina. And since then, I've become a program manager in the product group in Redmond, Washington. Wow. Yeah. On the engineering team. That is uh, yeah. a, a great role. You must be having a good time over there. Well, you should probably ask me um, not right before we finish Windows Server. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, right now it kind of sucks, but yeah, yes, it's a really great job. I yeah, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah, and you guys have bit off a lot for 2016. Like the list of features is kind of staggering. It's hard to get your head around it. I call this the, and I don't mean any sort of like you know being braggadocio or anything, but it is the biggest release I think we've done since Windows 2000. Yeah. Where just for the sheer quantity of like radical changes, especially in uh, security and storage and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a huge, huge release. And it really had a lot of it not building on anything. You know, usually you do these releases and it's like, okay, we're going to uh, tweak this. And a bunch of customers really said they would, they would strangle us if we didn't do that. Right. And then, uh, but this was just, you know, oh, let's make a hyperconvergence from nothing. Yeah. And let's make uh, storage replica from nothing. And let's make <laughs> shielded VM from nothing. So yeah, Jeez. it's been a really wild couple of years. And all the container stuff, and it's just it's yeah, nano server like that. Nano server is just you know ridiculous. Oh, here's you know, let's just shave off ninety five percent of the OS. Right, that's no big deal. Yeah, you don't need all so, that stuff. Yeah, so it's been pretty pretty wild times, and some late nights, and some shouting, and yeah. it's been pretty fun. And yeah, well, I feel like if I was in the sand business right now, looking at what you're doing with storage services of Windows, I'd be scared to death. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a really interesting, you know, sort of a situation, too, because a lot of the sand vendors have, you know, gotten... Uh, They've done mergers and acquisitions and stuff, so we got a lot of like uh, like big frenemies right now right. in the storage spaces. Used to we didn't play at all. Used to be we were just kind of a a joke or just something to attach LUNs to. Yeah. And now um, with storage spaces and storage spaces direct and storage replica and all those things coming up, uh, you know, finally having things like dedupe and peering and all these crazy things that everybody else kind of took for granted for some years. Uh, yes, we are really 
hoping and there's some some really interesting big stories that are going to come out. I suspect in the next few months about places uh, that have really gone whole hog with Windows Server storage. Yeah, and some big name vendors and some big customers and partners that everybody would recognize. We're trying to build together some some good case studies so people start looking for that kind of thing, especially around Ignite. We'll probably be running our mouths heavily about how wonderful we are. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be Ignite's going to be a big show. I'm working on being able to do some run as is from there while uh, while the show's going on. So I'm excited about that. But I really want to dig into some of the storage stuff because I mean, I'm looking at this and thinking this is San as software. Yeah, our um, software defined storage sort of play over the last couple of S's has I think evolved into something. Very, very slick. And we sort of read the tea leaves right because a few years ago, nobody was talking really seriously about hyperconvergence in the data center. And then a, some startups started popping up. And um, and we were already secretly under the covers for, I mean, really almost five years, fiddling away at making a storage spaces direct and, hyper, and a hyperconverged solution. So it's not like people, sometimes people make these sort of uh, hilarious accusations like, ah, Microsoft is just getting on the bandwagon. <laughs> like, yeah, how do we just did it all in a week? Right. That's <laughs> it right. Was easy. It was all just sitting there. We just pressed the hyperconvergence button. Right. So I just, yeah, I, I set the share to rewrite and it allowed you to <laughs> access the stuff. We'd already been done for years. We just wanted to surprise everybody at Christmas. <laughs> so no, we've been working on this for some time. And um, and now it's really coming ready to go. I, a couple of days ago, Klaus Jorgensen's a colleague of mine were on the same team, and he owns Storage Spaces Direct at the top level. He showed off a video a few days ago of us with a four-node S2D cluster pushing 60 gigabytes. That's bytes a second. Holy man. It is commodity storage, NVMe, and uh, nothing super – I mean, the whole rig – would not be that. I mean, it would uh, be easily within a price point for most mediums, much less larges and enterprises to afford. And just pushing in enormous amounts of data. And I was joking with him and uh, about how you get to the point of these types of super fast, all flash arrays that we've put together that we're we're going to start selling, especially under some special logoing that we're doing right for 2016. That. Yeah, they're so fast that, like, what are we going to put on here that wouldn't just run out of other stuff? And the storage is so quick now. You're like, uh, well, I can't put that many machines on there because I'll just start running out of RAM. And, like, what VDI solution needs, you know, 4 million IOPS? <laughs> so, you know, it's really these things are amazing, you know, proof cases for people who want to run really serious workloads like, wow. you know, like run SQL and run, uh, you know, blistering high-end applications and stuff. And, uh, you know, I would I would hope to see the SAPs and all the huge enterprise applications just plunk down on there and Hyper-V and saving a ton of money. At the same time, just kicking the teeth in on performance of anybody we stand up ourselves, you know, on similar hardware, but cheaper. Well, and, and this is when I get back to the whole, the, you know, terrorizing sands here. It's like... This is commodity hardware. It's not supposed to be as fast as the custom-built stuff by the vendors. Right. You're supposed to have these trade-offs, right? Right. It's supposed to have, um, you know, less support or, you know, because it's a little small startup or right. it's uh, it's supposed to be really expensive because it's some established play. I mean, the sand market is, what, 30 years old by now? Yes. At least. Like, the mature market is 30 years old. Um, but we show up and we try to be 
as fast or faster, you know, much less expensive. You can't argue with Microsoft support. I mean, nobody else has, you know, close to 10,000 support people in, you know, uh, pretty much every single country on Earth, you know, covering you 24-7. My usual reaction to dealing with PSS when I'm done is I waited too long to phone you. Like, I I was way too frantic and fighting with this problem by the time I finally used the PSS ticket because they're really good. I mean, the point I make to folks who have never done this before is, like, if it's hard enough, you will have the product team on the phone. Yeah. I have been on the phone with people while um, me and other well, – I've been on both sides. Yeah, when, sure. When I was in, when I was in PSS uh, and the escalation side and when I was here – We're a big company, but in the end, the server org itself, the org you're dealing with when you're working with all these data center products we've made, is actually pretty small and pretty tight-knit, and we know our support people by name. Yeah. You know, the, the, the escalation folks, I mean, we have, we go out to drink with them when they come to visit and stuff. So, you know, we have a very tight relationship, and there's definitely times when it's just a sort of a, you know, a partner thing where we're working on something that's gnarly and new that no one's ever seen before. And you can, you get some really, some funny sort of like small business-like relationships because people think of Microsoft as being, oh, it's 125,000 people. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, really over, only a few hundred of us work on server. Yeah. It's 125,000 people over what? 400 products? Like, you just yeah, start yeah. breaking I down mean, the, the math. Right. It's, yeah. It's not as big as you think. And, and certainly I've had yeah. that experience where, you know, somebody comes into the call. Well, I brought in so and so on the call and we start talking through the problem. And he goes, you know, when I wrote that, I didn't mean for you to use it that way. I'm like, <laughs> all right. So I really do have the guy. Yeah. There's been times this last few weeks on Twitter and in the TechNet forums where somebody said like, man, this storage replica, the step here doesn't make any sense. And then I would just respond like, gosh, I'm sorry. I wrote that. So I'll, <laughs> I'll knock and then like an hour later, it's fixed. And they're like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing something with it. I hadn't thought of. Thanks for the use case. You know, let me put yeah. that in there. That's really, there's been, a, there's, there's been a few of those for sure. We've really been, um, I think you probably noticed in the last year, uh, we started getting, yeah, a lot more serious about delivering the feedback back into, you know, from the field and from the internets directly back into our product group teams. And the PM spent a lot of effort trying to get those channels of feedback in and, and look through them and make sure we were really listening. And it really started from the client side, right? Because you, well, it's not mince words. I mean, Windows 8 wasn't like a hugely popular. Not, not so, your best version, dude. I could think of no. some worse. I'm not going to name yeah, names, I but I can think of some one. better. I can think of one. I can think of two. <laughs> I'm not going to say them. Nope. Leave those names out. We don't need to go I'm there. I'm going through the alternating OS uh, theory that everybody has. Yeah. But whatever it boils down to is when clients started listening as much, we were like, you know, we don't listen all that well either, so let's do the same thing. Nice. And we spent a huge amount of effort just uh, creating all these new channels, and it was really kind of painful here because a lot of, you know, a lot of the engineering and program manager Types here have just said, ah, you know, they, they get a little Steve Jobsy. We're like, I'll tell you what you're going to love. <laughs> uh, so, and sometimes you're right. I mean, sometimes people can't really, you know, theorize a really good idea. Sure. Like, you know, like the, the, the storage and the, the algorithms and storage spaces came out of Microsoft research and they're just simply new math as part of the erasure coding methodology that no one's ever had before. And nobody said, like, could you make a special, cool version of erasure coding by using, you know, Cambridge scientists? And, you know, nobody asked nobody for that. Nobody asked reason. for yeah. that. Yeah. So, but, you know, but we do get a lot of feedback that's just like, hey, you know, th- 
you've made this thing, so I'll give you the recent one. When we created SR uh, a couple of years ago, we were working on it for three years, Stories Replica. Right. I had just some sort of like, uh, just some ideas that I had plunked down on the table saying, you know, this is probably how customers are going to want to do it, and let's just do it that way. And then about, by the second technical preview, as I was trying to listen to the feedback, I started noticing that everybody kept saying they wanted more asynchronous. Because hmm. I, I was doing it synchronous because that was the new part everybody can do asynchronous we wanted to do synchronous right and then they started bringing up their cases and i said you know we we probably should just give this as much love and then we'll make it so that all of our scenarios do asynchronous the same way that they all do sync and that was just something we weren't going to do and then enough people said i would like you to do this and we we pivoted right there you know between technical preview three and four and said okay we'll do that so there's real-life examples of stuff happening pretty far along in the dev process nice. where we're trying to you know, do what's right by the customer. It's totally fair. Hey, you know, let me jump back a little bit here because I do want to dig into all these different flavors of storage services. Hyperconvergence, how do you define it? Because I think it's an abused term now. Yeah, um, it really is. And then you've also got people saying converge when they mean hyperconverge. Right. And then we used to, for years, we used to say things like disaggregated when we meant convert. We would make up our own stupid terms. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, to us, to me, what it really boils down to, you're trying to put the storage networking compute on the same cluster. Mm -hmm. But not just like, I mean, you could argue that like a Hyper-V on 2008 met that criteria, yeah. right? I mean, it's because uh, it's just a storage network compute on the same cluster. But really, the idea is that every piece of this is software-defined and not hardware-defined. Right. Yeah, so that you can reconfigure it essentially on demand. Yes, and that you're not tying yourself into particular hardware arrangements that are, strictly speaking... Uh, you know, fixed, you know, you're not, you're not going into saying like, okay, I've just gone down this particular industry vendor hardware standard. And that's the only one there really is, right? I mean, yeah. for years, it's just like you were on fiber channel or you weren't connected to anybody. <laughs> so things like that, where we're trying to, you know, give options within the space, but control everything through software and the hardware. And you're going to, five years from now, all you're going to be talking about is like field programmable gateway appliances because right. the world of like hardware being particularly smart and you know highly you know firmware for its task is really starting to go away and strongly disincented. And, uh, anytime I have to call someone to physically move a wire or move a chassis, I've kind of failed. Like I, I should never need to do that. Yeah, well, we're spending a lot of effort in this this uh, so-called health service. I really wish that we had a better name for this. It's just called the health service inside of 2016. Right. Um, it's, this, it's this idea that, um, you know, rather than just you make people just slap together a lot of commodity hardware together, that's not going to be uh, particularly, you know, well integrated, and we'll let the software integrate it yep. and just leave it at that. We also want to make sure that, you know, we did let you slap a lot of stuff together here. So let's make sure that we have a, a system which understands the state of being a hyper-converged, you know, sort of appliance, so mm -hmm. to speak, and tell you about like, oh, you know, this is, seems strange. I've seen this problem, uh, which is going to manifest it to yourself as like your VMs aren't starting up, but really way down here at the bottom, uh, you just lost this entire tray of disks right. because somebody tripped over, a, you know, a, 
SAS cable. Yep. And all of this, like, endless problems at the bottom will manifest themselves at this problem at the top. But you don't need to worry about the 47 things that are manifesting themselves at the top of the stack. It's all down here at the bottom. And because we tried to, you know, have some conversations with the hardware vendors about this, you know, we can describe and tell you like, oh, it's not just that you've got some problem with some tray. It's like, here's the tray and there's the lights and here's the, you know, the drives in it and these representations can be made and maybe we can throw that up into a web page and you end up with an experience that's sort of like the original uh, super proprietary configuration. Yes. I remember being able to do stuff like that with Compact back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, but you had to go, you know. It was all their stack all the way down, right? Yes, you had to be a Compact shop if you wanted to use Compact's Insight Manager and all that stuff, and you know, Compact racks all the way to cable, everything. Yeah, everything, everything. And this is it. much more. This is much more like a deterministic than that. I love that. Give me one second, Ned, to pay the bills, because this episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by Chef, the automated platform for DevOps workflow. You can use Chef to automate and manage it all, infrastructure, runtime environments, and applications. Chef works in the cloud or in your data center on physical servers, virtual machines, and containers. Get started today with Chef at chef.io slash runasradio. So on one hand, hyperconvergence is about not caring about the hardware, but you still need to know what's in what chassis just so that you're making sure you have reliability that no one thing is stored in any given one chassis. It's at least two places. Yeah. And so what we're doing there, and um, it's one thing for me to say, look, you don't care about the hardware. Right. And that's great because you can create white box solutions right now. And then you sort of like, you know, you're on your way to boring weekend town where you sort of duke your way through this sort of Frankenstein environment you've put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing something different as well is we're trying very, very hard this time to build a set of uh, almost like appliance solutions, but basically some, um, some testing arrangements and some logoing arrangements we've made with some of the big vendors, mm-hmm. uh, the Dells and the Lenovo's and the HP's and the uh, Intel's and Cisco, those, those guys and say like, okay, just give us one, just one or two of your solutions that you'd like to bundle together right now. And then we will make an STD, a storage spaces direct, a hyperconvergence, a storage spaces, whatever you want to call it, logoing sort of process. And we'll put this together so that if they buy that particular solution from you, and a lot of companies, you know, they don't want to buy a bunch of, uh, you know, just white boxes. They want to, they want the, they want their HP yeah, guy yeah. to show the, up and just say, here's all your HP servers I, on your HP contract. That's right. I want an, I want somebody I can strangle, right? That's why I buy yeah, from yeah. a particular vendor. Yeah, that's what my boss calls the uh, the single throat to choke. That's right. So that's an option as well. So for the first time ever, it used to be three years ago, if somebody said, like, hey, Ned, can you recommend some hardware uh, by name and brand? I'd be like, I cannot because <laughs> a, a Microsoft lawyer will kick the door in as I'm speaking and yep. hit me with a billy club. So, uh, but now it's the opposite. Now we're saying like, we've put together these, these actual arrangements that if you buy this, we're making, you know, as close as we can make to a software guarantee that it's going to work. Right, because you've tested it. I mean, it's nothing more. Yeah, we've tested it with them. Everybody's all giving each other a thumbs up, and we've all said, like, if you buy this, eh, it will work. And that's what we want, right? You just want to know it's going to work. There's always been recommended hardware lists for certain things, but now that we're looking at this from the storage perspective, so maybe we just got to sort out all these pieces because, I mean, I've heard of storage spaces before, but storage spaces direct and storage replica, what are the differences? Right, so we had storage spaces in the past. That was a shared 
uh, SAS configuration where you'd buy JBODs, you know, these just a bunch of disk enclosures. Um, just a bunch of drives is actually a better word. Yep. And I would just take these things and I wire them up. And I could do up to, I believe, four per node. And I have to do all this cross-wiring because they're going to be shared, right? So if I need all the nodes to be able to talk to all this storage, and you end up with this uh, sort of uh, monstrosity of cabling. But the JBots themselves are pretty dumb. The servers are doing most of the thinking. And you can use really any types of storage inside of them that you would think of as being normal, SCSI, uh, persistent reservations, SCSI 3 storage. You know, like you could use uh, HDDs and SSDs yep. and sweat. No problem. Then the world Done came it. along, and right, and it's easy to do, and we've got a ton of great success stories of people doing it. And then the world said, like, hey, uh, we're start making a whole new kind of hardware, a new type of storage called NVMe, and it's PCI Express attached, which means that your JBODs are no longer going to be able to use this thing, unless you want to make a new kind of JBOD that does PCIe inside of it instead of SAS. Oh, and by the way, just as soon as that's coming out, we're going to come out with something else <laughs> called uh, 3D Crosspoint or, you know, NVDIM. We're going to have like nine different kinds of those, and they're all in various stages of unrest. And those might require PCI Express, or they might even require being directly attached to the motherboard and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And so this whole JBOD story, which was good and works, and we have a ton of customers using it, and it's the basis of a number of our solutions, we were like, well, okay, so there's hyperconverged coming. We've got all new kinds of storage coming that really don't fit into a world of external storage. Yeah, they're not coming through like a SAS we, connector or, or, an, yeah. you know, or an Ethernet cable. They're plugged right into your bus. Yeah, they're plugging right into the bus, and they are nutty fast, nutty nutty, insanely fast, <laughs> nutty fast. Yeah, and then and then um, and you can't have that many of them. No. So because how many could you put on a motherboard, right? There's yeah. just not enough real lanes. It's so you reach a point where you could have as many slots as you want, but it won't matter yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, you just saturate the bus. The bus can only go so fast. Precisely. So what we decided was let's just take all that storage, put it into the enclosure of the server itself, and just keep adding nodes to the cluster, and each node is now really the storage enclosure as well as the fact that it's just, you know, a Hyper-V server or a scale-out file server, you know, running SMB or NFS. And how are you clanking the nodes together? Everything goes together with, well, arguably, you can just use 10-gig Ethernet. Yep. Uh, what we, we hope you will use is RDMA. Um, an RDMA... We do all of our fabric. Our whole software fabric is over the SMB3 protocol, which is something else that I own, and using something called SMB Direct. And SMB Direct is a way to place data between um, these RDMA-capable NICs without passing through the entire TCP stack of normal Windows. So you end up with incredibly low latency, and because these RNICs have insane bandwidth, um, Rocky V2 will do up to 100 gig Wow. Report. See, I, w I was doing this stuff with InfiniBand a few years ago. This, it was expensive. Uh, so InfiniBand is definitely expensive. Yeah. Rocky V2 is become, and Chelsea's iWarp are both, I mean, they're reaching down to uh, very, very reasonable price points. Rocky V2 has really been how we've powered the Azure data centers. Nice. But, you know, and over there, it's, you know, cost is very conscious, but also just the, like, how many can we get? You know, the ability to actually get sort of more exotic networking devices has really been driven down. 
And, it, and is this pure point-to-point stuff you're doing? No, it goes through switches. Okay. I mean, you can actually cross them over if you're uh, if you're inclined. But they typically go through switches, top of rack switches, and uh, you will get. I mean, your latency on the wire is often starts to be measured in nanoseconds. And uh, when you put your storage on top of SMB3 with SMB Direct and RDMA, you've removed, like, all these middle sort of gross layers, and you end up with this super wide pipe with super low latency and very little interference in the stack. And so when we did some demos last October at the Intel Developer Forum, we were demoing, like, some of the very first Skylake uh, servers, really almost like prototypes. And we're just using Chelsea, straight Chelsea. I um, I warp 10 gig. Nothing, right. I mean, like on their, on so their lower really end. crazy stuff, but nothing crazy at all. And we were pushing 4 million IOs nice. through that system. I mean, a very reasonable system doing these. And we were really upset because we thought we were going to get way more IOs. We ran into <laughs> a, a cooling problem during the demo. Oh, no, wow. So we were, we were overheating and we, we were getting way better numbers. We were back here in, in Redmond. So we were kind of pissed off and we we're like, oh man, we were so slow. It was only 4 million IOs. And everybody else in the audience was like, <laughs> what the wow. hell? 4 million IOs. So. Um, that kind of stuff is really within reach. Personally, I love iWarp because it's still TCP based. Right. And you can just plug it in, it just magically works. And you, and you recognize it. And you just recognize it. Rocky is definitely got lower latency. We're talking about tens of milliseconds or sometimes nanoseconds. And, um, but Rocky is, is certainly a, got much wider bandwidth right now. Right. So you can, you can, you can pick and choose these options. There's a number of options out there. And it's still InfiniBand as well. Mellanox makes both Rocky and, uh, InfiniBand. It look, I mean, it looks like Mellanox and, and Chelsea are both doing both, right? I mean, they're all dabbling. Chelsea just does iWarp. They're just doing iWarp. Okay. That, they are the keepers of the iWarp. Mellanox actually does InfiniBand and Rocky. And then they've also sort of farmed some stuff out to other vendors. You can actually buy, I think, Equalogic and HP branded nice. Rocky, Arnix, and stuff now. So this is a big. It's a lot of good, healthy competition going on. We like the fact that there's not just there's no not know, one way. It's just a challenge for me one, as, yeah, not, as the yeah. the IT guy going. Well, which one of these am I going to buy? Right? Like I hate to bet right. on the wrong one. So we took all of that, and then we decided, like, okay, so we've got super fast underlying storage. We've built this new type of way of doing storage. Mm-hmm. Are we going to keep using NTFS, or should we sort of move this along into something a little bit more modern? So right. we had done REFS in Windows 8, and it's sort of like, I wouldn't say it was experimental, because it shipped in the product, and it was fully supported, but it was really, it was sort of a, a first pass, and it didn't take off. Nobody really needed it at that point. It wasn't workload-wise, it wasn't particularly interesting for a running workload. It was very interesting for archival workloads. And then so coming along into Server 2016, we said, you know, I think it's time to really make REFS version 2 and make that be sort of our leading with file system for these these data center workloads. So that's what happened. So if you build you take this hyperconverged cluster, you build it with Spaces Direct and SMB3 right. and uh, RDMA and all these new types of NICs or old-fashioned ones, too. You can use HDD. We have a three-type of tier, multi-resilient tiering now in S2D and TP5 that'll do. It'll just, if you just plug in a bunch of hard disks and a bunch of SSDs and a bunch of NVMEs, we just automatically figure them all out, classify them into three tiers. You don't do anything. Right. It just happened to me. Throw some big nicks in the back of that machine. Even if you're just going to gang up some one gigs, right. you'll still get results. 
And then, so then on top of that, we said, okay, well, let's, let's try and leverage RFS. And so we took RFS v2 and a lot of changes were made to it from v1. So we got things like, um, incredible performance. So I did a demo and maybe, um, we can like you know, somehow show this in your stuff, but, mm-hmm. uh, we, I did a demo last week where I showed creating a 200 gig virtual machine disk, you know, a VHD on, um, some really, not lovely hardware that I have. I have like some seven, <laughs> some seven year old HP servers here. And, uh, I took the same exact hardware and I just formatted the file system, one with NTFS, and then I reformatted the exact same thing with REFS. And then I created a 200 gig fixed disk VHDX. And on the fixed disk one, it creates, um, on NTFS, it took about six minutes. Nice. And on the REFS, it took about one half of a second. Wow. Same exact file. So REFS, th- I mean, this is resilient file system. So this is going yes. to be, I mean, it came out with 2012, but I don't think anybody was wildly impressed with it in 2012. No, but you'll, when you run it on 2016 and you see its ability to do metadata checksumming and corruption detection and handle very, very, very large files and huge check, you know, VM checkpoint and backup solutions and stuff it is so fast its metadata operations are so quick and so smooth and sort of like tailored for the 21st century let's not forget that ntfs what the nt and ntfs stands for yeah. and when that came out yeah so you're pushing 20 plus honestly, years we're yeah. past the 20 year part yeah. huh? that's really depressing thanks a ton for bringing that up <laughs> well mr cutler just won in a lifetime achievement award as i recall recently so it's like i think oh you're dead God. now dave <laughs> <laughs> so yes that's um it's really just you know it's, it's gonna be a while before refs is the Operating system, file system, and right. NTFS joins FAT as sort of a curiosity. July of 1993 with NT 3.1, the new oh technology God. file system. I remember that day. Oh, uh, thanks, Rich. I wasn't <laughs> having a uh, bad enough feeling five minutes ago. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about long in the tooth, right? Like, NTFS has, has had a good run. We're ready for yeah. something, thinking a little differently. You know. Yeah, it's been through a lot of versions, and it's still got a lot of interesting pieces to it. Sure. And we're not getting rid of it. I mean, we <laughs> we can't get rid of it. No. NTFS. It's 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 going to be there for a long time. But for making new things yeah. on these types of uh, software defined data center workloads with you know big files and a lot of like really big heavy duty you know uh, operations that happen in the worlds of SQL and virtualization. And, devi- and these diverse storage techniques, like these are none of the things that were anticipated in NTFS. It's a great time yeah. to give it a rethink. Yeah. I mean, when you were writing a, you know, a one meg file back in 1992, yeah. A, you were using 20% of your hard drive. Yes. But B, you know, you were you, writing a bunch of zeros to a file wasn't a big deal because, you know, the files weren't that big. And yeah. now, you know, simple operation changes like getting rid of zeroing of files and just setting, you know, bounds on extents to make sure that you know that this is the length of the file, and we're just going to tell everybody that it's this long, and you don't actually have to go prove it. You know, a lot of file systems have been doing this for years. I mean, you know, plenty of the open source ones are intelligent like this as well. It's just us, you know, finally following up into our own story of a big data center. For sure. So what you're left with is then, okay, so I've got all this storage, and it's all fast, and it's all highly available because it's all clustered, but that that single rack is still a problem. 
Yep. Uh, any any burst pipes and all of my clustering don't matter anymore. So um, where I came in on this whole story is storage replica, and that is us finally saying like, ah, maybe people want to replicate more than just files. <laughs> so you know me, I own all the various file replication technology at Microsoft, yep. and it's all fine and dandy, and it's great for end users. But when it comes to replicating virtual machines, SQL databases, or you know petabytes of data, they don't do great. No. So the idea was, okay, let's finally make block replication. And starting in 2016, we have built this new feature called Storage Replica, and it creates um, synchronous and, uh, up to you, asynchronous replication uh, between servers or between uh, clusters or even inside of a cluster wow. to stretch a cluster. And you can go, um, you know, synchronous means going, you know, Fairly close sites. We try um, the the number that I have said is five milliseconds of round trip latency. Which keep the cable short. Keep the cable short. In theory, if you were in outer space, that would be around fifteen hundred kilometers. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know the vacuum. Uh, when you get onto Earth, the real five milliseconds, you start dealing with people's dark fiber and all the types of actual yeah. logistics. Of I don't. I th- I wouldn't want. I wouldn't be willing to leave the building. Really. Uh, I found some customers, especially um, schools and uh, the really high-end, like uh, manufacturers, the automotives and all those types of guys, they can get a couple hundred kilometers out. Wow. But they just have effectively unlimited networking budget. Yes. Uh, a, t- a standard normal customer would probably stay within the confines of the county at the most. <laughs> or just do it inside the campus, right? Yeah, yeah, inside yeah. the campus, it's pretty easy to maintain. Yeah. And then if you want to go further than that, we can do asynchronous. Right. But the idea is that I have, you know, all these things we were talking about before about a uh, file system. I don't care what your file system is. I will just replicate the blocks of you data. Do the blocks. So, yeah, so I don't care about files being in use. I don't know about files being in use. I don't know that you're using REFS or NTFS or if somehow you got FAT32 on there. I don't know it. I don't care. It, all I'm doing is replicating the actual allocated blocks in the storage. I'm down, way down by the partition. We're actually a disk filter driver. And um, everything above it, the dedupes and the bit lockers and yep. the all that, you know, the backups and everything, that all works great. And we don't even know about it. And the building this into the OS means that um, this is where the, the storage guys get really upset. I remember when we first announced this at a partner summit, this one of the storage like one of my sort of like um, industry peers came running down from the back of the room because um, <laughs> I had announced this new feature and I thought he was going to like take a swing at me. He nice. was like running at me, he had an angry look on his face, but he was really just really scared because they made their money off of the selling these a la carte add-ons. When you go and buy a SAN yeah. and then you buy another SAN, they'll usually, you know, they'll they'll play lots of games with the price of the SAN because they have enormous margin built in. Yes. Enormous margin. I mean, at least, you know, half the price usually I see. They'll happily go to half price, which means they must be making an incredible amount of money on the hardware. Yeah, but no when kidding. it comes to the replication and all the sort of add-on pieces, they usually flex very, very little. And that's because a lot of it's very lucrative. That's just some software. They're just unlocking some features for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. And they'll charge you a good amount of money, which I was going to show up and saying like it just costs whatever server costs. Yeah. And that didn't make them. No. This know, comes with the OS happy. you already own. Right. Now it does come only right now in data center edition. Right. So it might make some customers, and I know it does make some customers say like, ah, I only want to run standard. Right. Um, which is okay. 
But also, you can keep in mind that we have a number of licensing changes that have happened in the last few years that make running data center not always, I mean, don't look at the MSRP. Yeah, and don't look at the name either. You don't have to have a data center. Like, this is not that big a deal. And then to even sweeten the deal, um, because there were some conversations early on about not allowing it, but um, we decided, like, okay, we're going to give you the exact same capabilities in guest as in physical. Interesting. So if you want to run a bunch of guest uh, VMs and have them replicate, I started having customers say, you know, I don't like Hyper-V, but I love storage replica because all of my VMs are running on VMware. And then they're all replicating inside of the, the guests themselves, and I'm happy as a, as a clam. How do you manage the consistency there? I mean, the challenge of block copy, because even though it's fast, is, you know, is, is the, the VM instance still coherent? Like, if you have to fail over to the other one. Yes. So what we actually do, A, we have a number of, actually, this is probably where only some of the only patent work was done at Storage Replica. Oh. So I won't get too deep into it, but we do have basically our, we only had, three goals with Storage Replica. When I sat down and took over the project, I sort of wrote three things on the whiteboard. And one, I wanted it to be as simple as possible to set up because I had sat there and looked at how hard it was or I had personally used a lot of replication products, sure. which I thought were sort of intentionally designed to make you want to buy the on-site support contract <laughs> because there's no way you could figure it out. Yeah, you're never going to make this work and you're never going to trust it. Right. And two, I want it to be fast because if it's, you know, it doesn't matter how safe it is, if it makes your workload so slow, you don't want to use it. Right. And three, we could not, no matter what the contract was, we had to make sure we didn't lose data. Right. Because you're already having a disaster. We don't want to become part of your disaster. We just want to be the solution (laughs) to your disaster. Yes. So we put in a lot of checks to make sure that our block copy algorithms and our checking and checksumming is, and we spent three years validating it. And so far, have not had one single customer deployment out of, I think we have 25 production deployments right now. Hmm. Not one single customer has come back and said, I lost data. Wow. Which is cool. But the consistency part is tricky because when you're doing block consistency, that doesn't help your application, right? Like if your application's Notepad, yeah, and it's writing like random crap to the disk because Notepad is a you know an imbecile, mm-hmm. and then you just cut replication off in the middle because the the, the source node crashed or died. It, it, the last thing that that Notepad did was write half of a you know half of a useful piece of the file. Yes. And we replicate that perfectly. It doesn't matter because the file's still corrupt, yeah. right? So besides that, besides our way of doing that. We also said we would surface up the VSS engine into SR so that we fully supported you taking application consistent snapshots, those flush to disk, and we replicate those. Oh, okay. So every, say, like, let's say you set it so that VSS admin runs a scheduled task every, I don't know, half an hour Mm -hmm. or hour or whatever. Every so often, you're actually not only doing synchronous replication or asynchronous block, which is crash consistent, you're also getting application flushed VSS backups, which are then synchronously replicated. And then if you actually have your disaster and you lose the source, you come over to the destination, you promote them to being writable, of course, because they can't can't have both be writable nope. and synchronous replication. And then you say, like, okay, well, you know, this everybody's using Notepad today because they're a bunch of pinheads. So we're going to go ahead and go to the last consistent checkpoint of all the notepad files. Yep. And we'll just, you know, restore the snapshot from that spot or restore those files from that point. And they all came over synchronously. So whatever the backups are synchronously replicated. And uh, because I hate to say that 
SR is a backup solution. People always say, like, uh, yes, you can use this replication feature for backups. And then I say, no, you can't. <laughs> because if I delete, if I delete all your files, I'm I will replicate the replicate. delete. Yes. Yes. And the most likely backup scenario where you lost data is not, you know, a lightning strike no. exploding the building you're no, in. It's, it's actually fingering. Bob from accounting. Yeah. Yes. So, um, this gives us the ability to have a, sort of a multifaceted set of, you know, it's replication, it's disaster recovery, it's high availability, and it also brings along your local snapshot consistent backup backups as well. Nice. So that I have a way have some, from my end on the app side to say that's a consistent moment, and you'll pick yeah. that up and carry it forward. Correct, correct. I love it. Dude, uh, we're long, and I feel like I want to keep going because there's so much cool stuff. But I think we better stop. Folks need to take okay. a good long look at the latest stuff in storage here because it's very powerful stuff. We just got to wait for 2016 to ship, right? Any day now. Well, it will definitely be by December 31st. Otherwise, we have to change all the names. <laughs> I'm optimistic. Ned Powell, thank you so much. posters for- and stuff. <laughs> yes, you're already committed. <laughs> There's swag. We've got to yeah. do this. <laughs> right. Ned Powell, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, Rich. Uh, we'll try to make it a little bit shorter next time. I hope visits. so. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.